0: The conspicuous prosperity of Jacob, as described at the end of Genesis chapter 30, did not fail to catch the attention of Laban's sons and of Laban himself, and they were not at all happy about it. However, God, in his limitless wisdom, intended to use the material success of Jacob and the subsequent resentment of Laban and his sons to get Jacob turned back toward his home the land of Canaan. You know, in Haran, Jacob may have become prosperous materially, but it was in Canaan, not Mesopotamia, that God desired for Jacob to become prosperous spiritually. It's interesting to find that the Lord God had prospered Abraham down in Egypt. He had prospered Isaac in Gerar, in the land of the Philistines. And now we find that with the third patriarch of Israel, Jacob, God had prospered him in Padan Aram of Mesopotamia. And in all three of these situations, the prosperity of the patriarchs caused problems which resulted in very needful separations. Abraham's prosperity, which was gained in Egypt, resulted, remember, in his separation from his nephew Lot who was a worldly compromiser, and it was important that Abraham separate from him. Isaac's prosperity, which was gained in Gerar, where Abimelech was king, his prosperity resulted in, the, in his separation from the land of the Philistines, where Isaac, we had discussed, had been out of fellowship with the Lord. He needed to get back into the center of God's will in the center of, of uh, the land of Canaan. And now Jacob's increased prosperity brought him potential danger with Laban and, therefore, was going to be used by God to drive Jacob back to Canaan, where he belonged, the land of blessing. You know, Jacob, of course, was in the line of the special Abrahamic covenant and in the line which was to have its grand apex, its grand climax climax in jesus christ the savior so he needed to go back to the land god had promised his fathers and him and of course his descendants his sons were to found the 12 tribes of the nation of israel and therefore they did not need to be outside of the land of israel where they would amalgamate but they needed to be in the land the land of israel now of course satan's desire was always to keep the descendants of Abraham out of the land which God had promised them so that there would be the increased chance of them amalgamating or mixing into the population of other lands and then uh, just disappearing from the scene. Laban, as a tool of Satan... Was uh, had managed so far very successfully to keep Jacob from the land for 20 years but God as we will find in this lesson would once again overrule Satan's plans God purposely prospered Jacob knowing that it would eventually result in Jacob's departure from Haran Jacob needed to get back into the land of blessing and raise his sons there so that they would not blend into the the people of um, mesopotamia well in this lesson which i have entitled parting prompting you'll understand why as we get into it parting prompting and it's taken from the first 14 verses of genesis chapter 31 we will look at the two primary circumstances which prompted jacob's decision to finally separate himself from laban and head back to his true home in canaan to his father's house following our look at those circumstances then we're going to discuss jacob's persuasive conversation with his two wives rachel and leah regarding his need to depart and we'll conclude by looking at their consent to depart with him and leave their father laban so we'll begin part one of our outline is called the prompting to part Uh, By the way, the second part of our outline is called the persuading to part. So we'll be looking at just two main divisions, the prompting to part and the persuading to part. Under the prompting to part section of our outline, we will be looking at verses 1 to 3. A lot of situations which had occurred over the 20 years that Jacob had been living in Haran with Uncle Laban, who was also his father-in-law, a lot of situations could have prompted a parting between those two men. When you think about it, especially on Jacob's side of things. I mean, he could have left long ago um, after he had been deceived on his wedding night, for example. However, Jacob's decision to finally leave was prompted primarily from two new situations which came to pass. The first one came from his brothers-in-law and his father-in-law. Jacob's prosperity, as I've already mentioned, brought about some uh, problems it brought about some undeserved and unhidden resentment by his um, relatives the male relatives which put him in a position of potential danger so in verses one and two we're going to discuss under the prompting to part three uh, two excuse me two divisions we'll look at the um, danger the danger concern in verses one and two and then the very, the second very critical prompting to depart came to Jacob by way of a command from God. And that sort of really settled it. And that's what we'll discuss in verse 3, the divine command. So we'll begin, if you look with me at verses 1 and 2, we'll begin with the danger concern. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 31. The scripture says, And he, that's Jacob, heard the words of Laban's sons, saying... Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and, behold, it was not toward him as before. The sons of Laban, now how many there were, we do not know, but obviously there were at least two because it's plural. They have only been mentioned in passing back when Laban put, remember, his multicolored flock and um, herd into their care and sent them a three-day's journey away from all of his solid-colored livestock. That was in chapter 30, verse 36. Well, they enter once more into the scene here in verse 1 of chapter 31 when Jacob heard them express their resentment toward his prosperity, toward his success. Now, whether they spoke in his presence, you know, when they knew he could hear them, he, uh, if they did this to purposely vex him, or whether they spoke so openly that they knew others would repeat their words to Jacob, we really don't know. But at any rate, he did hear them. I mean, he heard what they were saying. Whether he heard them directly or indirectly, he knew what they were saying, and it was both critical and false. Laban's sons accused Jacob of having taken away all that was their father's. Now that accusation simply was not true. For one thing, Jacob had not taken away even one sheep or one goat from Laban. The two men had made a covenant. They had made an agreement. The flocks and herds which Jacob had accumulated were gotten very fair and square, according to that agreement. If anything... As we're going to see when we get to verses 7 and 8, it was Laban who attempted to take away from Jacob by his constant changing of the contract agreement. It says he changed his wages ten times. But in reality, the only one who really took away from Laban was God, as we'll see in Jacob's words down in verse 9. Laban was merely finally reaping from the evil that he had sown for many, many years especially toward Jacob. It was also not true for the sons of Laban to say that Jacob had taken away all that was their fathers. I mean, that was really a gross exaggeration. They, they were even uh, shepherds over some of their fathers' own flocks. So obviously Jacob had not taken away all that was their fathers. In fact, if it had not been for Jacob and the favor of the Lord upon Jacob, their father would still be a small-time rancher. But because of Jacob, Laban's little had become a multitude, and his sons were really far better off than they had ever been before because of Jacob. Really, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, what they did not like was that Jacob had become better off than their father, and it probably wasn't even their father's wealth or honor, which they were particularly worried about. It was their own wealth and honor which concerned them. They could see their inheritance slipping away as Jacob's livestock grew and their father's livestock dwindled. They became unreasonably bitter about it, and they probably mentioned their gripes and their false accusations to their father at every opportunity which came their way. Of course, the sons totally overlooked the 14 years of Jacob's diligent, faithful work for their father, which had received absolutely no compensation at all. They didn't gripe about that, did they? Evil men, which is what they were, they were just like their father, evil men do not care about using the truth in their accusations. They only care about their own gain. So it is irrelevant to them if they slander another person falsely. It's irrelevant if they embellish, you know, exaggerate their accusations and uh, the facts. And that's exactly what Laban's sons did. Well, Jacob not only heard the words of Laban's sons, as it says in verse 1, but he also could not help but see, in verse 2, the countenance of Laban. And the scripture says it was not toward him as before. Laban began to apparently listen to his sons. And he began to, even with his own eyes, he began to covet what he saw in Jacob's possessions. And he seemed to uh, totally forget his own deceptions and his own mistreatment of his son-in-law. It, you know, it just simply did not seem to be in Laban, in his person, in his character, to be happy for someone else. If you think about it, he should have been very happy that his son-in-law was doing so well. Why? Why? You know, if your son-in-law was doing well, wouldn't that make you happy? Because what would it mean? It would mean that your own daughters were prospering and your grandchildren, and so you should be happy for them. He could have been happy that, that also that Jacob was now independent of him and that he no longer had to provide for all their physical needs but because before this, before Jacob got independent and, and was uh, making some income of his own, Laban was obviously feeding and clothing everybody so he should have been independent I mean he should have been happy that Jacob and his family was independent from him now but from beginning to end we find that Laban in the scripture is portrayed as a man totally governed by avarice by his own self-centeredness and his own greed he was selfish and greedy and he never changed as far as the written record is concerned which is sad his his big sly hypocritical smiles you know can't you just see his his toothless grin or his cold capped tooth grin when Jacob had been working for him exclusively had turned into uh, malicious dark scowls and there was danger written all over his countenance danger coming from the look in his eyes and Jacob knew that look where had he seen that look before He had seen it in the face of his brother Esau, and he knew that it was time for him to leave. And then something very special happened, which confirmed that truth, that it was time to leave. It confirmed it as absolutely as it could be confirmed. What was that special thing? God. God intervened. God spoke to Jacob. So let's look at the divine command, part B. And for this, we'll look at verse 3. And the Lord said unto said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. In a dream, which we will look at later in this lesson, and we don't learn that it's a dream here, but we learn at it later on we learn that it was a dream later on when Jacob revealed that dream to Rachel and Leah in verses ten to thirteen. So we know that the Lord spoke to Jacob in a dream. He Uh, And also through an angel, the Lord through an angel told Jacob that it was time to get back to the promised land. It had been 20 years since Jacob had heard from God. Now remember that. And so it must, and where was that? When was the last time he had heard from God? It was back in Bethel before he even met Uncle Laban, before he even entered into Padan Aram in the city of Haran. So it had been 20 years since he'd heard from God, and don't you know that it must have been wonderful for him to finally hear from him again. It should have been especially comforting for Jacob to hear the Lord remind him that he, the Lord, would be with him. You know, now before moving on um, to the second part of our outline, this part called the divine command, it I thought it would really be worth a few minutes of our time to demonstrate how the experiences of Jacob in haran uh, and the hostility toward him of laban and laban's sons and then his return into canaan how those experiences give us a prophetic foreshadowment of the experience of the jewish people remember now jacob is a picture in type not of christ but of the jewish people the nation of israel after all his name is even going to be changed to later on in our study to israel and his 12 sons form the 12 tribes of the nation of israel therefore we would expect that his life would somehow be a picture or a foreshadowment or a type it's even called an adumbration of the experience of the nation of israel and that is indeed what we find so if you want to write these down the first way that uh, Israel is represented by Jacob is what we could call the desire of the Jews the desire of the Jews the desire of the Jews is represented by Jacob in his own desire to return back to the land six years earlier you know Jacob had expressed his desire after he had served his wife, for his wives for 14 years and this was six years earlier from where we are now he had expressed to Laban his desire to return home to his land that was in chapter 30 verse 26 and now we find it again in our current study the same his desire to return the same desire has been generally true in the heart of the Jewish people there is a heart desire in them to return to the land of promise even though there have been Uh, any number of reasons why many of them individually, many of the Jewish people individually could not or did not return to Israel. Yet corporately, enough Jews have returned to the land after each of their exiles to demonstrate as a nation her desire to return home. Secondly, the dollars of the Jews, you know, their prosperity, their success financially, materially, The dollars of the Jews is also represented by Jacob. Jacob grew very wealthy, as we have discussed, in Haran. And he also brought increased prosperity to his host, Laban. We find that wherever the Jews go, they not only prosper themselves, but the host land in which they settle also prospers because of them and because of God's blessing on them. So a nation that embraces and blesses the Jews brings blessings upon itself. But the nation that makes the grave mistake of Laban and turns an envious malicious eye on the Jews and subsequently harms them or drives them away also drives away its own source of blessing. And this is true because God keeps his promises. And remember, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants, God had said that he would bless those that blessed him and curse those that cursed him. And you can just look down through the corridors of history and find that that is definitely true for the nation that blesses the Jews is blessed. The nation that curses the Jews is cursed. Well, third, Jacob pictured the delay of the Jews so we've got the desire of the Jews the dollars of the Jews and the delay of the Jews prosperity has kept many Jews both in past years and even up to the present day from returning to Israel Jacob's opportunity for prosperity kept him from Canaan even after he had desired to return the riches and the comfortable lifestyle which many of the jews got used to when they were in captivity in babylon kept many of them from returning to israel with zerubbabel and nehemiah and ezra they got uh they got prosperous in babylon and they enjoyed the creature comforts and many of them did not return Well, the same is true today. Wealth and comfort are the primary reasons for why many Jews do not go to live in the land promised them by God. That, of course, and the fear of danger, especially today with all the terrorism going on in Israel. It was, remember, a fear of Esau which had kept Jacob away. It was was probably the reason why he accepted Laban's ridiculous terms of working fourteen years for his wives, he was still afraid to go home anyway. So he figured he might as well stay and and work for uh, Uncle Laban and get his wives. Um, because he was, we'll find that even when he does go back, he is still very much afraid of Esau. So uh, Jacob pictured the delay of the Jews in returning to the land. Fourth, we have the diligence of the Jews which along with God's blessings, just as was true with Jacob, whether he deserved those blessings or not. Now remember, um, he, he did not exactly deserve to be blessed by God, just as the nation of Israel has not necessarily deserved to be blessed. But it's just because God promised he would bless them, and so he keeps his promise. But um, the, So the diligence of the Jews is what has caused the Jews to do so well along with God's blessings of course wherever they have gone in the world they have done very very well and again just um, a look at history and so many of the Jewish people have been the forerunners in their various fields and have been um, responsible for many many of the wonderful things that have been invented and discovered but like Jacob we could say they, they are definitely intelligent in their various fields of study Jacob was uh, very intelligent when it came to shepherding and to breeding techniques and and his skills in that area and uh, he had excellent work habits and that's in general how the Jews are intelligent and they have excellent work habits they get their jobs done effectively and efficiently so the diligence of the Jews along with God's blessing is another way in which Jacob um, is a picture of the nation of Israel causing the Jews to do so well wherever they have gone in the world fifth we have the danger to the Jews the persecution is what God has used repeatedly to get Jewish people back into their land it was the hostility of Laban as we see in this account and, and Laban's sons, which eventually made it very uncomfortable for Jacob to remain in Haran. And it was the persecution of the Egyptian pharaoh which drove the Jews back to the land um, back in Moses' day. And it was Hitler and Nazi Germany which drove the Jews back to the land some 50 years ago. Even yet today, persecution is still a big factor in in bringing Jews back into the nation of Israel. So um, Jacob pictured the Jewish people in the way of his, even in um, his persecution, which God used to get him back into the land, his persecution by um, Laban and Laban's sons, the animosity, which he knew would bring persecution. Okay, well, that's all I'm going to say now about um, part one of our outline which was entitled the prompting to part let's move on now to the persuading to part and under this section we also have two divisions we will look at the consult with the wives as jacob consults his wives about the situation and then we will look at part b the consent of the wives so we'll begin by looking at his the consult with the wives verses 4 to 13 this is the longest section starting in verse 4 it says and Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock and said unto them I see your father's countenance that it is not toward me as before but the God of my father hath been with me and ye know that with all my power I have served your father and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times but God suffered him not to hurt me if he said thus now he's speaking about Laban the speckled shall be thy wages then all the cattle bear speckled and if he Laban said thus the ring straked shall be thy hire then bear all the cattle ring straked thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me and it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream now here's where Jacob is telling his wives about his dream And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-striked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-striked, speckled, and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest, vowest a vow unto me now arise get thee out of this from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred jacob realized the importance of meeting with his two wives laban's daughters rachel and leah in order to explain the situation to them, they needed to know all that was going on, or they may not be—they uh, might not have been willing to uproot and leave their parents and their brothers and their home behind them in order to depart with Jacob into a land you know they were not familiar with, had never been to, and didn't know anybody. Well, Jacob also understood that his meeting with his wives needed to be held somewhere private where no other ears might be listening because remember those people were very good at eardropping ear, ear at eavesdropping if Laban suspected a getaway plan then Jacob realized that Laban would gather his men together and his sons and, even, and, and either try to stop him or, or strip him and probably send him back home the same way he had arrived 20 years earlier With neither family nor fortune so in order to secretly consult with his wives to persuade them of the necessity of leaving he called for them to meet with him out in a field with the flocks he may not have told them much about what had been going on before this perhaps he didn't tell them a whole lot out of respect for them I mean after all Laban was their father however it was time that they knew the big picture so that they could decide for themselves if they would or would not choose to accompany their husband back to his homeland. Well, the first thing Jacob told Rachel and Leah was that their father's countenance had changed toward him. Laban was no longer even attempting to act friendly toward him. Even his uh, hypocritical smile was gone. And there was imminent danger lurking behind his eyes, as we mentioned earlier. And Jacob saw this. Surely also the two sister wives had noticed this change in their father and had probably heard, since the women seemed to have um, more of a grapevine going for them than the men, they had probably already heard about the jealousy and resentment of their brothers as well. Well, Jacob contrasted the changed attitude of their father it's interesting to notice with the constancy of support from the God of his father. Notice in the, at the end of verse five, he said, but the God, but the God of my father hath been with me. So we have the, um, the change of um, man compared with the constancy of God. Well, then Jacob called upon his wives as witnesses to his own faithful service to their father. And we notice that they did not contradict him when he said, And ye know that with all my power I have served your father. Verse 6. If anyone would have known the validity of that statement, it would have been his wives, Jacob's wives, you know, the very daughters of the man he served. They would know if he had truly been serving their father wholeheartedly or not. And the fact of the matter was that he had been. And they did not contradict him when he said that because they knew that he had truly been serving their father with all his power he had been a very he'd been very exemplary when it came to his worth work ethics that's one thing we can really commend jacob about is his work ethics even working for a a a very selfish greedy unethical employer after speaking to rachel and leah about the change in their father's countenance toward him he then also told them about the changes in their father's contract with him he told them how their father had deceived him by changing his wages 10 times which may have been a figure of speech you know we we simply don't know if, i mean we don't know if he actually literally changed it 10 times or if that's a figure of speech meaning that he had changed it many times we notice that Jacob, and this is interesting to note, that he did not make any mention of Laban's deception with Leah on the wedding night, uh, and, and that's commendable. He did not want to hurt Leah by bringing up that subject. He, he merely brought up the matter of their of his wage contract with Laban and how Laban did not keep his word about the arrangement for wages which he and and Laban had made but he did not mention the arrangement for the wedding which was good he didn't hurt Leah he cared about Leah when Laban (coughs) saw how many spotted and speckled and grizzled livestock were being born what did he do he changed the contract to limit Jacob to simply speckled animals that was his first trick however God then saw to it that a greater percentage of speckled babies were born to the animals. And then we find out that Laban again arbitrarily changed the contract to limit Jacob to the ring-streaked animals. And once again, God saw to it that uh, many ring-streaked young were born. So no matter how Laban changed Jacob's wages, he could not change God's blessings on Jacob laban was a wicked miser who tried to cheat jacob at every turn but he could not succeed against jacob's god hallelujah praise the lord in verse 9 we find the answer to the accusation of laban's sons they remember they had falsely stated that Jacob had taken away all that was their fathers back in verse 1 well here we have the answer to that accusation Jacob told his wives that it was God who had taken away the livestock of their fathers and given it to him and of course it wasn't all of the livestock he just did his livestock just grew bigger than his father's than um, than their father's Laban well during all the deceptions and cheating and wage changes jacob had continued to serve his father-in-law to the very best of his ability that's amazing that he did that he he didn't lash out at laban and that would have been easy to do um, in the flesh jacob did not attempt to even rob from laban or cheat him or get even somehow behind his back he totally attempted to keep his end of the bargain they had made together and to be a good testimony to everyone remember that's what he had said when they had made the contract in chapter 30 verse 33 he wanted his uh, righteousness to show before everyone so that he'd have a good testimony Jacob knew his wives were aware of all of this he he also wanted them to be uh, well aware of how the Lord God had been the one miraculously prospering him in spite of their father's ways. So he wanted to be a testimony of the Lord before his wives as well. So far, he had already, if we go back now and review what he's told his wives, he had already spoken to them of the presence of God with him when he said in verse 5 that the God of his father had been with him. So he spoke of the presence of God. He'd also testified to his wives about the protection of God when he said in verse 7 that God had prevented Laban from hurting him. And furthermore, he had testified of the prosperity of God when he said in verse 9 that it was God who had taken away their father's cattle and given them to him. Now next, in verses 10 to 12, he would tell them about the privilege of God, which he received through a dream. So we have the presence of God, the protection of God, the um, prevention of God, from having Laban heard him and the prosperity of God and now we're going to talk about the privilege of God given through a dream God showed Jacob by way of a dream that his successes Jacob's successes with the flocks and herds bearing young which corresponded to the specifications of the contract with Laban that those successes went far beyond anything having to do with Jacob's breeding techniques and, and his shepherding skills God who of course could see and still can see into the gene structure of the animals saw which animals could mate with, with which other animals in order to bring together the recessive genes you know in the DNA which would produce spotted speckled or ring streaked young God also saw to it that those animals with those recessive genes did mate with each other. Now the reason he did this according to the words of the angel who spoke for God in the dream was because he saw how Laban had treated Jacob and how Laban had had cheated him and changed his wages. You know, whenever God speaks of seeing how an individual or a nation has, uh, has maltreated his children... We can know that God is going to then frustrate the evil designs of the ones doing the mistreatment, that mistreatment. We think of Egypt and Pharaoh when God saw what they were doing to his people and he heard the cry of his people. Well, last of all, Jacob told his wives about the precept of God. God revealed to Jacob in that dream through his holy messenger angel that he was the God of Bethel. Jacob was then reminded of the pillar that he had established, and he was reminded of the vow that he had made there to God. And in that vow, Jacob had told God that if he would be with him, if God would be with him, if God would protect him and provide for him so that he would be able to one day return to his father's household, then Jacob would establish an altar there in Bethel. For God, and he would worship him. And remember the third thing he promised? He promised that he would give God a tenth of all that God had blessed him with. That vow was given back in chapter 20, verses 20, I mean, excuse me, chapter 28, verses 20 to 22. Well, now God was telling Jacob in the dream that the time had come to be on his way back home. God had kept his promises to Jacob you know he had kept him he had protected him and he had multiplied him and he had blessed him and it was now time for Jacob to remember his vow his part of the bargain and keep it it's interesting to think about the fact that Jacob always had to take the initiative in his fulfilled contracts with Laban remember how he always had to go to Laban to remind Laban that he had fulfilled his end of the bargain now it was time for Laban to fulfill his end but here it's God who had to take the initiative in his contract with Jacob you know God had kept his end of the deal now Jacob needed to remember his vow and keep his end of the deal well anyway the time then had come for the transaction between God and Jacob at Bethel to be brought to a successful completion it was time for Jacob to return home Laban was now more dangerous to him and to his future part in God's plans than who? Than Esau. Of course, Jacob didn't know that at this point in time. He was really still, he's always between a rock and a hard place. He's got Laban on one end now and Esau on the other. But at this point in time, God knows that it's safer for him to return home and deal with Esau than it would be for him to stay in Haran with Uncle Laban so all of this is what Jacob told his wives he did not share this information notice with his handmaids uh, Zilpah and Bilhah or with any of his sons now of course they most of them were too wrong, young to share this information with Reuben who was the oldest would have been approximately 13 years old but he didn't share this information with the handmaids or with any of his sons he only shared it with laban's two daughters because they alone needed to make a decision to depart with jacob or to stay with their father you see the handmaids and the children would go wherever jacob rachel and leah went they they had no choice in the matter so he shared this information with rachel and leah and we turn next to see how they responded to his persuasive speech regarding the importance of leaving haran and their father laban so let's look at verses 14 to 16 which i have entitled part b the consent of the wives we've looked at the consult with the wives now we look at the consent of the wives look with me at verses 14 to 16 and rachel and leah answered and said unto him unto jacob Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's, now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Rachel and Leah were united Isn't it wonderful to see this? They're united in their response to Jacob. Both daughters of Laban had harbored resentment toward their father in the way that he had essentially sold them to Jacob. At least that's how they felt about it. That he had uh, sold them to Jacob. How he had also, they resented him, how he had excluded them as virtual strangers from receiving any inheritance. And they also resented Laban in the way that he had even devoured their dowry money on himself. It's not surprising to find that these two women had very little love for a father who had demonstrated very little care or affection for them. He had been too busy using them as trading commodities to build up his own worth. Jacob had been really the only one to show any concern for them. He he had been willing to pay an unbelievable amount for them, 14 years of wageless labor. And the money which he should have made, had he been paid, was to have served as a dowry for Laban's daughters, to provide a financial base for their future security. But Laban had kept that money for himself, instead of putting it into his daughter's account, you know, the money that Jacob would have earned. He should have taken that money and put it into his daughter's account for, you know, security, for a dowry. But he didn't do that. He kept that money for himself. He devoured it on himself. And the girls knew that, and they resented him because of that. Furthermore, in Rachel's and Leah's question, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? We read in verse 14, the implied answer to that, question is no Laban had obviously made it clear that his daughters would be excluded from receiving any of his inheritance apparently his anger in seeing Jacob prosper so much had caused him to exclude Rachel and Leah from receiving anything from him at his death I mean you know of course the boys the sons would get the bulk but daughters would get something but he he totally wrote them out of his will I guess he wanted to make sure that Jacob would not get any more from him than he had already gotten. The daughters of Laban had no doubt been watching their father closely with regard to their husband, and they knew that his attitude toward Jacob had gone from bad to worse. They had also very likely observed that it had indeed been God who had taken from their father and given to Jacob. They believed that it was poetic justice that God had done this because he was really taking what had rightfully belonged to them and their children, and he was restoring it to them. You know, their father hadn't given him a dowry, and he had written them out of his inheritance, so they felt it was right that God had done this and restored to them what their father had stolen. So the two sisters may not have been admirably spiritual, in their reasons for committing to go with jacob but at least they submitted to his authority their husband's authority and better they had they submitted to god's authority because they together agreed that jacob should do whatsoever god had told him to do they were behind him 100 percent, and it's good to close this study finding that jacob and his two wives were finally in harmonious agreement and that is good advice that they gave to their husband whatsoever God told him to do do that's good advice for us to give to anybody father it is good to find that Jacob finally realized that there was no future for him in Padan Aram outside of the land of blessing his future lay in the place where you had placed your name his future lay in uh, the land of blessing with the God of Bethel and this is a great lesson for us to learn as believers true prosperity is spiritual it's not material true prosperity doesn't reside here in this world but it resides in the next world where you live God in heaven it was good that Jacob saw the world around him becoming dangerous because it made the word of God suddenly becomes so much more delightful everything started to come into focus when God when you Lord again spoke to him he must get back to the land of promise thus we find that it is a blessing really when the world which may initially look so attractive to us when it begins to look like um, not so attractive When it initially looks like a place of such riches and comforts and ease but it finally turns sour that's good because it is then that we are willing to listen to what God has to say to our souls the world will use us the world will change our wages ten times so to speak but you Lord are always there for us and you are always always consistent you are the same yesterday today and forever and the older we get the more we realize how important it is that you are constant The world may fail in its part of any bargain, but you always keep your promises. Thank you for that. Thank you for your person. Thank you that the best advice of all is the advice that we heard from Jacob's wives, and that is whatever God says to do, do. May we be faithful to do just that. Lord, we love you, and we praise your holy, gracious, perfect name. We pray in Jesus' holy, perfect name. Amen.